I love the book of Hebrews. I hope that you are well aware and familiar with the book of Hebrews. It sounds like it should be an Old Testament book, but it is most definitely a New Testament book. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we, we are reminded that all of history before Jesus pointed toward the coming of Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews, we also learn that all of history since the first coming of Jesus now points to the coming kingdom of Jesus in this world and when Jesus will return one day in final victory. The book of Hebrews is an amazing book and it is so applicable to our age because the book of Hebrews was written to a Christian community probably living in the city of Rome and they were a Christian community that were in the process of drifting away from their faith in Jesus Christ. This book is so applicable for our age because we are in a Christian community where people seem to so easily and so readily continue their journey of drifting away from their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, almost none of us, perhaps none of us, ever wake up on any given morning and say, I think I will just turn my back on Jesus Christ today and I will reject my faith and I will walk away from discipleship and obedience to Jesus Christ. Most of us never wake up and choose a day to do that. What drifting away from the faith looks like is just a slow, gradual drifting away from our faith in Jesus. It's not like the blowout of a tire. It's more like the slow, almost imperceptible leak of air from a tire. Until before you know it, the tire has gone completely flat. So the author of Hebrews is writing to a Christian community there in the first century that is in danger of drifting away from their faith in Jesus Christ. They, like us, are in a world surrounded with distractions. And those distractions aren't bad things. They're just not always the best thing that God has planned for us in Jesus Christ. Did you notice how this author chose to encourage those people who were in the process of drifting away from their faith in Jesus Christ. He chose to encourage them by saying to them that they and we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that that great cloud of witnesses should encourage us. And you heard Pastor Clark read that a few moments ago. You hear how at the end of chapter 11, what we call chapter 11 of Hebrews, he continues to list some of those great, great saints. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. When he talks about someone being stoned to death, he's probably talking about Jeremiah. When he talks about someone being sown in two, he's probably talking about the prophet Isaiah. But he's calling to our remembrance those great saints who have gone before us that are now in that great cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses who are watching 
They're watching us. They're watching us run the race of faith. It's as if they're in the stands. We're at the ground level of the stadium. We are the ones now running the race of faith, and they're watching us. I do believe that those who have gone ahead of us to the next world, those who have passed through the veil into the world to come, can watch us. I don't believe they will ever see anything that would diminish their bliss or diminish their joy on the other side. But I think they can see those victories that we have in this world. I think they can see when we run the race successfully in this world. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is offering to us. He's reminding us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And that should help us as we run the race. Run the race with perseverance and courage and endurance. The word race here in Hebrews chapter 12 is an interesting Greek word. The word race is the Greek word agona. And perhaps you know the English word that we get from that Greek word agona. It's the word agony. So even though this English translation translates the word race, you could almost translate the word obstacle course. Difficult obstacle course. And that probably feels more like our experience of running the race here in this world. So the author of Hebrews is saying, they're watching, remember the great cloud of witnesses as you run the obstacle course. And if you want to run the obstacle course with perseverance and endurance, you can only do that if you keep your gaze fixed on Jesus Christ. The world around us is full of distractions. Some of them are wonderful, marvelous distractions. But we, we need to never let anything pull our gaze away from Jesus Christ. We should always keep our eye on the prize, keep our eye on the goal for which we are living. This life, this world is but the ante room for the world to come when we will enter that great cloud of witnesses. So if we're going to run this race well, we've got to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ of our own imagination, not the Jesus Christ of our own making, but the Jesus Christ that's presented to us in the Scriptures. We must have a laser-like focus on Jesus. I did just get back from a wonderful, wonderful continuing education experience traveling through the lands of the Reformation. Some of you made that trip with me. We were able to study John Calvin. We were able to study Martin Luther. We were able to study Ulrich Zwingli. We spent time in Switzerland. We spent some time in France, most of our time in Germany as we studied what it means to be Reformation Christians what it means to be Protestants who have a faith centered on the Scriptures. So we studied that for a couple weeks. It was with a great group of people. We had a wonderful time. We learned a lot about our faith. We learned a lot about the struggles of the Christian church in the West during this era. In Wittenberg, that city where Martin Luther became the spark of the Protestant Reformation, there are two churches. 
One is the Castle Church where Martin Luther on um, October the 31st, 1517, you just celebrated it last week, nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door of Wittenberg where he expressed 95 issues he had with the Christian community of his day. That's the Castle Church in Wittenberg. There's a second church in Wittenberg, though, that's not as well known. It's simply the town church. It's St. Mary's. Martin Luther preached there several times. If you visit that church today, there's some beautiful, tremendous, powerful artwork behind the high altar. And that's where I, I saw a famous painting that's entitled The Reformation Altar. It's a powerful picture. I brought a print home because I want to keep it in my study so that I don't forget. If you look at that piece of art, the, the Reformation Altar, what it is, is a painting by Luther Cronach, who was a fan of Martin Luther, uh, a painting by Cronach. And in that painting, on the far right, you see Martin Luther in the pulpit, kind of a high, elevated pulpit. You see Martin Luther in the pulpit preaching. That's on the right-hand side of that altarpiece. On the far left-hand side, you see the gathered community, the church. But in the middle of the picture, you see Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what you see in that Reformation altar is you see Martin Luther preaching, but simply what Martin Luther is doing is pointing toward Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the people on the other end of the painting are listening to Luther, and they're fixing their gaze on Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we want to run the race successfully, if we want to run the race with faith and fruitfulness, we have to remember that great cloud of witnesses that's watching. We have to remember to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus Christ because that's the only way to battle the distractions of this world. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So, so good, so great to be back in this pulpit. It's such an honor to have this pulpit open to me each Lord's Day. One of, one of the things that makes preaching in this pulpit so amazing is what I get to look at on Sunday morning. You're wonderful, but these windows are even a little bit more spectacular. All of these windows remind us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. These hundreds of people in these stained glass windows remind us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. These windows remind us that every time we worship, as we say, every time we celebrate communion, we join with the host of heaven in that worship. These windows remind us of those who have gone before us and those who are watching us and depending upon us to witness to our faith in Jesus Christ in this age. But I particularly appreciate that when I'm in this pulpit, I get to look at that north window. That north window is to your back. I encourage you sometimes to maybe go up into the balcony and look at that north window for a few moments. That north window is the window that we intentionally have facing Chestnut Drive. It was built to face Chestnut Drive. That north window up there in the balcony is our witness window. That's why it's facing out, it's facing the community, it's facing Chestnut Drive. That window is helping us bear witness to the Christian faith. And that's why when I enter this pulpit and I look at that window, I, I see some great, great saints looking back at me 
in that north window that's witnessing to Chestnut Drive and the High Point community, I see John Chrysostom, one of the greatest preachers of the early Christian community. When I look in that window, I see, I see Augustine, not the theologian Augustine of Hippo, but the one that Pope Gregory the Great sent to England. He became Augustine of Canterbury. He took the Christian faith to what we call the British Isles, and we are all heirs of that today. When I look in that window, I see Athanasius. Athanasius is one of those great, great saints who helped to forge the Nicene Creed, who stood almost against the Christian world of his day and demanded that we remember that Jesus Christ is true God of true God of one substance with the Father. And it was Athanasius who reminded the church of the deity of Christ. And that's who Jesus Christ is. When I look at that window, I see Francis of Assisi, that 13th century saint who reminded us that we need to love well and we need to live simply. In that window, I see John Wycliffe. You may not know the name John Wycliffe, but I hope he becomes dear to you after today. John Wycliffe was a 14th century British scholar and preacher. And he was convinced in the 14th century, this was early, he was convinced that every Christian needs to be able to read the Bible in their own language. You see, for a thousand years by that time, the Bible had just been in Latin. And that was considered the sacred language. That was considered the language of God. And the only people who knew Latin would have been the priests, some of the priests and the scholars. The common men and women of the day would not have known Latin. But the church was okay with that because the church appreciated us who were in the know telling you what you need to know. So it was highly, highly controversial when people started popping up in the 14th, 15th, 16th century saying, these scriptures need to be in the language that people speak. And it was John Wycliffe. We call him the morning star of the Reformation because he predates Martin Luther by well over 100 years. The morning star of the Reformation who actually translated some of the Bible into the people's language, which in his world was English. And he was persecuted. He died a natural death, but they dug him up and they martyred his body. They burned his body at the stake after he died. And they scattered his ashes. That's how controversial it was to try to get the Bible into the language of the people. You see, we priestly types, we were afraid you would mess it up if we let you read this yourself. But John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, he's in our window reminding us of the great price that was paid to put that Bible in your hands this morning. Of course, Martin Luther's in that window. John Calvin, a great teacher of the Reformation, is in that window that I see every Sunday when I preach. And obviously, and of course, John Wesley is up there in that window. Francis Asbury, the founding force of American Methodism, is up there in that window. The the most powerful preacher of the Methodist revival, I believe, George Whitfield is up there in that window. Robert Rakes is in that window. And um, it would be interesting to me that I'm not going to ask, how many of you know who Robert Rakes is? R-A-I-K-E-S, Robert Rakes. 
Evidently, when this church was built, this beautiful stained glass window is installed, somebody knew who Robert Rakes was, and I'm so glad he's up there in that window. Robert Rakes was that English Christian at the end of the 18th century who founded what we call the Sunday School, that new innovation at the end of the 18th century. He's in our window up there. Also, we look in that window and we see Peter Dabb. I hope that you know Peter. Peter was that courageous, brave Methodist circuit rider who came to the, the wilderness of North Carolina, this area, in the early and mid-1800s, and he planted Methodist churches all over this region. One of them was our own Wesley Memorial Church. He planted this church in 1856. I'm so grateful he did. His picture is in our window. His Bible is in our historical room. I'm so glad that Peter planted churches all over this area. And here we are now. We have lived through the Civil War, two world wars, the Great Depression, two pandemics, and many other major, major times of trial in this land. And we've stayed focused to be a beacon for Jesus Christ in this world. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. There's one other Methodist preacher in that window that I'm looking at. You may or may not be familiar with that Methodist preacher named Braxton Craven. He was a Methodist preacher who served in this part of North Carolina. He was the Methodist preacher who served in the early 1800s, mid-1800s. And he founded, or at least he grew after it was already founded, what would become Trinity College and then Duke University. I'm glad Braxton's in that window back there. So I cannot help but enter this pulpit knowing that we are surrounded, I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and these people are depending upon us to continue the witness for Jesus Christ in this world. Today is All Saints Day. We remember those saints who have gone before us. Make sure you define a saint as the Bible defines a saint. In the Bible, a saint is not someone of exemplary moral status, though we are thrilled when those people pop up in our history. But a saint in the Bible is simply someone who's been set apart, who seeks to belong to Jesus Christ first and foremost. A saint is just someone who belongs to Christ. A saint is just someone who wants to live for Jesus Christ. That's why everyone that has received Christ in New Testament language is a saint. That's why we have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. All of those who have sought to live their lives as a witness to Jesus Christ. We all have people from our own lives who, who, who are in that great cloud of witnesses. We have loved ones there in that great cloud of witnesses. And as I said, I think they're watching us. That's what I think the book of Hebrews is teaching. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us run the race with perseverance and endurance. I know that my parents are in that great cloud of witness. My grandparents are in that great cloud of witness, witnesses because they were people of faith. I think about people in my life who have, who have made an investment in me. They're in that great cloud of witnesses. People like the Reverend Artis Payne. You may or may not know Artis Payne. He died recently at the hospice house here in High Point. He lived over here toward Davison County. He was the pastor at Montlou Avenue that left when I was appointed there. He was almost retirement age, and I wasn't even old enough to 
know much of anything, but he helped me when I went to that church. He turned that congregation over to me. And, you know, a nice way of saying it is I was so green at that point. Perhaps a more honest way of saying it is I was so ignorant at that point. But Artis helped me, helped me pastor those people that he loved as he went on to another congregation. And until he died, he stayed an encouragement for me. Reverend Howard Allred, some of you know Howard. He lived here in this community. He was a mentor to Tammy and to me from our earliest years of ministry. And I still miss Howard so much. He's in that great cloud of witnesses. Mickey Eford. Many of you know Mickey Eford. He was one of my professors in seminary. You know him here at Weston Memorial because for 40 years he taught a Bible study here in the fall of every year. And he and I were talking about a Bible study for this, this fall. And instead he stepped over to the other side. And Dr. James Mickey Eford, New Testament professor from Duke, is among that great cloud of witnesses. He had a huge impact on my life. I remember Ferry Hooks. None of you would know Ferry Hooks. Ferry Hooks was a faithful laywoman in the church where I did youth ministry way back when I was in college. And Ferry Hooks invited me, 18 years old, to teach a young adult Sunday school class. She trusted that young adult Sunday school class to me. And I remember that first Saturday night, that particular Saturday night, I stayed up all night studying Isaiah chapter 40 so that I could speak intelligently and fruitfully about Isaiah chapter 40 the next day to those young adults. But it was Fairy Hooks who invited me to do that. People have made an investment in our lives in so many ways. And that's why we bear witness to the grace of Jesus Christ as we continue to make investments into the lives of others. I think about all those people who built this great, this great congregation. You know many of their names. We are here today standing on their shoulders. They invested in this congregation. They invested in our lives. They joyfully and sacrificially gave to make sure that Wesley Memorial Church would be a strong, vibrant, vital congregation for the sake of Jesus Christ. They're in that great cloud of witnesses, and they're watching to see how we run the race. Each one of you could name some of those people. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We need to never forget that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses who are watching us as we run the race. We have this great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, who bore witness to their faith in Jesus Christ. Now it is our turn to bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we're so good at bearing witness to our political convictions. We're so good at bearing witness to our love of our nation. We're so good at bearing witness to our, our, our sporting interest and the teams that we love desperately. How are we doing with bearing witness to Jesus Christ? That great cloud of witnesses is depending upon us. 
that great cloud of witnesses they're encouraging encouraging us though the though the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ in history every congregation is but a generation away from losing their light of Jesus Christ every congregation is perhaps but a generation away from fading away from drifting away regarding their faith in Jesus Christ part of what traveling in Europe always does for me friends is it is it is distressing to me to see how weak the Christian church is in Europe the land of Martin Luther John Calvin Yorick Zwingli John Wesley about the most optimistic estimate you can get regarding Europe is maybe 10% of the people there are still professing Christians who show up in worship occasionally. Almost everywhere we went, we were in some magnificent churches, I would find some way to ask somebody there, is there still a worshiping congregation in this church? I only found two of the many churches we went in. I only found two that have, to this day, a small remnant of a worshiping congregation. Most of the churches are museums or concert halls. And nothing wrong with either one of those. That's not what we were created to be, church. We need to make sure that we bear witness, just like those who are in the great cloud of witnesses before us bore witness to the faith in Jesus Christ. You know that in 2019, and that's the year before COVID, in 2019, we closed 4,500 churches here in the United States. And I think COVID perhaps has sped up that process a little bit. My friends, for God's sake, for the world's sake, for the sake of all the people in your life, please remember that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And keep focusing on Jesus Christ so that you can run this obstacle course with perseverance and endurance. My friends, think, think deeply on these words.